Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. See what I did there? I, I stretched some words so that they go a little long, like long. It makes it sound more exciting. Oh, you're not just trying to stretch this episode out for time? <laughs> I'm not on purpose. <laughs> this one is Uncanny X-Men number 257. The cover date of January 1990 and an on-sale date of November 7th of 1989. Cover price of a dollar, 32 pages. Is that, isn't that comic 22 pages plus ads? Is that what it is now? Uh, this one's titled, I Am Lady Mandarin. It's an Acts of Vengeance tie-in, everybody. Kinda. <laughs> I mean, they mention Mandarin, although you don't see him in this issue. You see him over in Adventure, Avengers, not Adventures, Avengers, which we'll also be briefly talking about at the at the end of this. So stay tuned for that. If you're looking forward to Acts of Vengeance coverage, whoa, man, we got you covered. So much Acts of Vengeance. And the funny thing is, is like Acts of Vengeance in the other comic books is just, it, it's silly. Like all of the villains are cartoonishly evil. It's only really in Avengers and West Coast Avengers that X of Vengeance is kind of happening. And then in everything else, it's kind of like this where it's just a tagged on. It's like, oh, we got to have our heroes fight people that they never fought before. And yeah, it's 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 kind of it's kind of hokey. All the Spider-Man stuff. I feel like the villain battles are a little hokey, but his main arc is this whole cosmic power that he's dealing with and all that responsibility. That's and that's that's good wholesome like spider-man stuff uh it it feels it feels a lot like this acts of vengeance is shoehorned in into a lot of these comics much like this very issue that we will be reading uh yeah it's uh it's the cover is uh wolverine I, i don't think we've seen him in this outfit ever but certainly not in the pages of the uncanny x men it's from his uh limited series or not limited series it's from it's from his own series Wolverine. Does he wear this in Wolverine and has he worn it already? He wear he has worn it in the first I think the first five or six issues is when he wears it. Um it's when he's not wearing the eye patch. Yeah. So it's like a <laughs> it's basically like a black vest, black spandex pants, and a red belt and black gloves. Um I guess So when he's when he's in Magibor, he's got two disguises. He's got the eye patch. And then he's got this, which is the non-eye patch. He doesn't wear the eye patch at the same time as wearing this so that you don't confuse whoever this is with patch. Right. And there's a little joke in the issue about how stupid of a disguise that is. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. On the cover is, uh, well, it's Psylocke. But, I mean, if you're not really following the X-Men, you might not know who this person is. Because it actually, it it almost looks like a man. Because some of the shadowing looks like a big Fu Manchu. It does kind of look like a mustache. Yeah, and a little goatee if you go further down her chin. Um, <laughs> she's got a metal kind of wolverine cowl thing going on, uh, armor, purple uh, cape. She's got uh, armored arms, armored legs, and she's got a little little knife, little a little electric knife coming out of her, uh, her uh, wrist there. Yeah, we'll learn more about that as we get into it. I am glad this costume does not stick around. Spoilers. Yeah, I think this is just her Lady Mandarin costume, and then she goes to just, you know, swimsuit Psylocke. 
Which we've already like we were introduced to swimsuit say like last issue, so it's not not too far of a step. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, it's not it's not a great cover. I I think if it's even on a T-shirt, I go like I remember that issue, and I'm like, oh, it's neat that they made it, but I I I probably don't buy this one. I like the Wolverine on this cover because he does he looks like he is uh, I don't know not like you often see Wolverine. In fact, you might not even know this was Wolverine if you were not tuned into yeah. like so you were reading Wolverine and you said oh I heard that Wolverine's in the X-Men I'll pick up issue 257 that doesn't look like he's in this one and there's a scaling issue too where like Psylocke is behind him but she looks bigger I just like his face yeah her head her, her head looks bigger but her body doesn't look bigger but I think it's partially because of that gigantic shoulder pad on the left that yeah. doesn't appear on the right it's a strange shoulder pad. She just has one. Even in the uh, first page, she just has one shoulder blade that's uh, super pointy, and the other side's kind of wrapped in a cape. Oh, Jim Lee. This is written by uh, Chris Claremont, penciled by Jim Lee, uh, inked by Joseph Rubenstein. Um, letters says all available. So I guess, was this an all-hands-on-deck lettering affair? I guess so. <laughs> uh, we need some letters, and we don't have a letter. I got all the letter A's. <laughs> I got, I'm good on E's. I need somebody to do three Q's. Ooh, ain't, ain't nobody can do a Q. We might have to outsource for that. Call in Horatio. We need a couple of Z's. <laughs> uh, Glennis Oliver is the colorist. Bob Harris is the editor. Tom DeFalco is the editor-in-chief. Uh, and this is this is Jim Lee, but it's not Jim Lee with uh, what's his face. So it's Scott Williams. Scott Williams. So it's, it's like nah, you can see the traits of Jim Lee, but it's just missing that that Jim Lee ink, or I guess it's not really his ink. It's Scott Williams' wink ink, and his wink. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> a uh, little wink he adds to every panel. Uh, she shows up. Silex, a full page spread. She says, "I am Lady Mandarin." <laughs> and uh, she is confronting um, the hand, I think. Uh, this is every criminal in Hong Kong. So all the lords of the Hong Kong underworld. But is she representing? She's representing the Mandarin. How isn't the hand involved in here somehow? Or yeah, she she's She she works for the hand who works for the Mandarin. Okay. Well, she basically says like. I'm going to kill all of you. And they're like, no, you're not. And then she kills them all. Well, she doesn't want to kill them all because she wants them all to work for the Mandarin. Sure. So she kills everybody but the lords. Yeah, there's a, um, definitely a scene here where it kind of looks like uh, she blows a dude's head off. I, I think that that's accurate. <laughs> so th there's gun shooting and... Uh, she gets hit in the back, but not really. And she uses her psychic abilities, uh, and it turns out that uh, this guy shot his buddy, and she was there all along. And uh, she looks like she's going in for a, a kiss with this kind of sweaty fat guy, and then she blasts him in the head with her fist blasts. You don't see him ever again. The image certainly looks like his head's blown off, but maybe not. Eh, why not? Sure. Uh, one of the women here, she she calls out. She's like, ah, she wears the Mandarin's rings. And everyone's like, oh, my God, she's going to use them on us. 
The tempting thought, but your executions will serve no good purpose beyond my pleasure unless you fail to take tonight's lesson to heart. The Mandarin is not to be taken lately. You are all free to continue your various operations, but under his overall control, you remain lords. He becomes your overlord. Deal with it or I'll kill you. Yeah, and, and as you read this, um, you kind of it's kind of like, oh, man, Mandarin, he, he must be a really cool dude. And then you flip over to Avengers and he's like, Oh, that's Mandarin with a stupid-looking mask. And they make they kind of make fun of that in this issue. Do they? I, I might have yeah. missed that. Uh, if I catch it, I'll, I'll I'll bring it up. I mean, somebody says like, "Oh, Mandarin can't even beat American heroes" or something like that. But uh, yeah, anyway, so she uh, after she does that little speech, she she kind of goes off on her own, and she's like, "I won! I won! I won! For all their power, I beat them! How glorious! Yay, me!" <laughs> Which is nice i mean it's, it's different you wouldn't expect this so i kind of i kind of liked that twist of it she she has this kind of confidence and then it turns out that she's not as confident as she seems but she's very happy to have won it's nice yeah meanwhile on a pair of boats uh jubilee well they get stopped by the royal hong kong constabulary harbor patrol and they board the boat and all they see is jubilee for a moment there anyways so like is this a problem guys this is your boat girl <laughs> you betcha bored and bred and proud of it appearances are deceiving you know <laughs> and uh wolverine steps out and he's like I, I mean, he must have like a patch voice and i'm not sure what that patch voice would be <laughs> so like we our wolverine voice is like hey wolverine yeah. So maybe maybe it's a little nasally, like, hey, I'm Wolverine. No, he, so he he comes out and he's got like a he's got a dress shirt on, which is kind of unbuttoned by a couple buttons, just like one too many buttons. And then he's got a sport coat and slacks and like uh, white shoes. For some reason, I'm getting like a like a '80s early '90s Mel uh, Gibson vibe from him before he went all crazy. This is not the usual patch outfit. No. So even this is kind of a surprise to me. To me, he has like the Cyclops voice now where he's like, actually, Constable, it's mine. She's crew. Any objections? But it's like a gruff one. Oh, actually, actually Constable, Constable, it's mine. <laughs> <laughs> She's crew. Any objections? That's just Wolverine kind of drawling everything out. <laughs> And everyone's like, oh, uh, we, we, had, we didn't know you were in the vicinity. Uh, uh, everything's fine. Be on your way. Sorry. So evidently everybody knows who Patch is. I'm obliged. <laughs> and uh, th so they leave and they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe it's him. Uh, and Jubilee's like, what's with your eye patch? <laughs> Disguise. Whoa, an eye patch. Like, I'm impressed. And it works for me. <laughs> well, I guess he's he's back to being Wolverine now. Yeah. Works for me. And then he still uh, has visions of um, what's her face and what's his face. Carol Danvers and Nick Fury. And so when I was reading these comic books, my only real connection to these two characters are from the pages of the X-Men. And so to me, I was like, oh, man, I want to read about the times when Wolverine was like doing adventures with Carol Danvers and Nick Fury. Uh, and they don't exist, right? As we've uncovered, we're just kind of getting, I don't want to say necessarily retcon, but we're establishing that back. This, this is what you do when you, when you have a guy who has a past 
and you want to sprinkle some flavor into this past, you look at the overall oh, sure. past of the of the of the whole the whole painting. Yeah. And then you say, oh, well, I, I can tie in Wolverine with Nick Fury, even though we don't have any of those adventures. We can we can say they existed. Yeah. And I don't have a problem with it, but it's just to me, it was always like, oh, I wonder I should read those issues sometime and they don't, <laughs> they don't exist. So, well, eventually they will exist. Sure. I'm sure there's sure. by now between now and, and today or between between the time of this comic and today, there are probably hundreds of them now. Sure. Uh, in fact, I think I even have some four-part miniseries of Wolverine hooking up with, not hooking up, meeting up with Captain America, going on an adventure, Nick Fury going on adventures. I don't think I have any Carol Danvers ones, but I'm sure they must exist. I don't know about that. That's, that's a good question. In any event, uh, Wolverine then collapses. So before he looked like all put together and like all slick and everything, but then he collapses on top of Jubilee and now like his face is all like, mushy and kind of red colored and he looks like beat up now jeez oh jeez you're bleeding again this is not good this next panel of jubilee where she's like you'll be dead if you keep us up that it, that's jim lee like through and through the wispy hair i feel like this is the asianization of jubilee uh yeah because i I feel like when she was created, they were trying to give her like a Southern California, Mexican, New Mexico kind of background. But I might be wrong about all of that. I, I, I could It could be that she has always been intended to be an Asian character and just the, the talent at the time. The artists didn't know how to put like Asian flares into their drawing, but Jim Lee does. So yeah. who knows? Who knows which came first? But here we're actually starting to get full-on establishments of the the past of Jubilee. Yeah. And I think I was also equally confused because I was 14 and uh, she'd be like, oh, nice job, Chica. And you're like, oh, she must be Mexican. But that <laughs> could also have just been like, I think California mall brats would call everybody Chica because that's right. cool. <laughs> and I'm a 40-year-old comic book writer and have no I'm idea what the I'm kids I'm in touch are with the youth. <laughs> exactly. So it could be either. <laughs> and a different artist could have come along and been like, no, nah, no, nah, she's Mexican. And that's the thing. I don't think any other artists really draw Jubilee as having any Asian characteristics, which is confusing uh, and unfortunate. You don't think so? Even after, like, she's... Like years of Jim Lee kind of drawing her as Asian, she's just not carried on as Asian. I think it depends on the artist. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say overall, yes, there that that after after Jim Lee, she is officially, yeah, probably made made more attempts at drawing her with a with more Asian features. But I would say that there are a lot of uh, artists out there who just draw what they draw. I have to imagine that there is a Marvel Age or a Marvel Guide to the Marvel Universe handbook or whatever they used to call those things that squarely puts her birthplace as our descent, descendantry ancestry. Well, there's this, this, there's yeah. this issue. There's this very issue. She oh, that's right. About you're it, right. So. You're, you're right. You're absolutely right. So here we go. Uh, I guess we're getting ahead of ourselves yet again. So <laughs> <laughs> Carol Danvers is like, uh, so much for your healing factor. And Wolverine's like, well, I wonder. I always wondered if it had a, a limit, Ace. You're running on the edge, Wolverine. You got no margins left. Jubilee's like, who are you talking to? 
<laughs> and she, Wolverine's like, Carol Danvers and Nick Fury, meet Jubilee. What? It's just us, Wolverine. Ugh. Read my lips. There's nobody else here. Carol Danvers' ghost kind of pokes over and looks at Wolverine's like, uh-huh. Well, both both Carol Danvers and Logan look at uh, Jubilee like she's crazy. And then Jubilee says, he looked at me like I was the one who was nuts. Trust me, Ace, I got a plan, he says aloud with a kind of a mojo grin. But mojo has nothing to do with this story. <laughs> or a Joker grin. I don't know. It's it's a very out of character Wolverine grin. Well, he's uh, he's he's down on his luck. He's beaten beaten down. I'll take it. Sure. Jubilee's like I don't know. I don't know. It looks like he's gonna snap. Maybe he already has. Meanwhile, back in Cairo, Illinois, we're getting some video news report uh, that uh, Jacob Reese's plan has come to fruition. Uh, Storm, little Lil Storm, L apostrophe I L, is wanted for murder of the doctor and nurse combo that actually Jacob Reese killed. Remember that, Adam? Yeah, I was, I was there. Oh, <laughs> and she's like, the black box, it lies. He killed him. I didn't. And some police see her, and they're like, there she is. And they chase her into uh, an alleyway, and they're kind of like, oh man, I heard about her. She killed those people. I don't want them to kill me. Punch it, Lou, she's rabbiting. She disappears, and they're like, where is she? Maybe on the roof? Only if she can fly. And so they leave. And it turns out that she is actually on a roof. On an awning, it looks like. So does that mean that she still has her powers? Yeah, I mean, I interpret this that she's probably, what, 12, maybe 10 years old uh, in this body. She probably doesn't realize quite what's happening, but I'm sure when she got... Uh, scared or, or stressed out she she probably the winds probably lifted her onto the awning and she probably my interpretation of all this is she's not aware of what she can do i'm just wondering like moving forward is this going to be a thing where she still kind of has her powers but she doesn't realize it um i mean i guess i guess the past couple of issues we've, we've been with the the whole storm in cairo we've kind of been pointing towards that but i feel like at some point, we're going to defi- decisively say, no, she does not have her powers. I don't remember. I mean, I, I, some things happen. She meets a person. I don't want to get spoilery, but there's a lot that I, I just I really don't remember. Uh, yeah. And some of that is, uh, how does she does she have her powers? If she doesn't have her powers, how she gets her powers back? Does she know she's Storm? And when does she be- know that she's Storm? And then at some point, she becomes an adult again. And how does that happen? Like, all of those questions, I don't remember. <laughs> Maybe it's not Storm. Maybe it's a baby space whale. It, <laughs> that could be. Maybe maybe the well, maybe the space whale was like, oh no, that clone I made died. Well, I've got some more storm spit, and that storm <laughs> storm that occurred, the whale spits it down on the ground, and that's when she appears in the levee. Sure. Somewhere here she said something about oh yeah. Cairo has changed, none of the streets or people match my memory. So she thinks she's in Cairo, Africa. Uh Egypt? Egypt, Africa. Yeah, I guess Egypt's Egypt's in Africa. Man. Yes. I feel like I got a All lot of those. Of, <laughs> all of those are true. <laughs> there's question marks I have in my geography there, but in any event, um still I like the idea that that she was put in the box in Cairo overseas. She gets out of the box and all of a sudden she's in Cairo, Illinois. And it's like 
she split like one storm went off and did everything we saw her do and she died and this is a different storm that just kind of split somehow and, and appeared here and i don't i don't maybe that i don't remember how any of it works so i'm gonna stick with that speculation until uh we see otherwise yeah i i think you're right and i think you're also right that we're not gonna see otherwise <laughs> I, I literally don't remember so anyways <laughs> uh we flip back to hong kong and uh wolverine takes storm or takes jubilee to uh rose's house Landau, Luckman, and Lake, and we've we've been here before in the pages of Wolverine. Um, at, at least we've been to Landau, Luckman, and Lake. I don't know if we've met Rose yet, but Rose becomes a fairly important character in the Wolverine story, probably in the Wolverine comics. Yeah, yeah. I like this drawing of Rose giving Wolverine a huge hug. To me, it kind of looks like a more gruff Indiana Jones getting a hug. Uh, it has a lot to do with the hat and the stubble, of course, but it's also just a good drawing. And the eye patch. Yeah, the <laughs> eye patch is fine. Uh, she knows it's Logan, though. Um, well, yeah, I mean, she's not being fooled by an eye patch. Nope. Just like everybody else. <laughs> they have a question there. Hey, who's the kid? Youngsters, my lifeline wouldn't be here without her. I won't be going on, he says. Without her, I won't be going on. Ah, there we go. Uh, fill me in. I don't know. Some stuff. Go get some tea. Jubilee sees a picture on the wall, and it, I guess it's Young Rose with Wolverine in a space age city. Yeah, which I was like, what? <laughs> uh, uh, so, yeah, they're in some sort of futuristic city. Uh, Jubilee says, oh, but that Blade Runner city in a background, where the heck were they? It also should be noted, I think this is like the first we're really seeing of Jubilee's Robin outfit. Oh, where She yeah. has the, uh, the yellow trench coat and the, the green Robin shorts. Although I guess they're shorts, not tights or whatever it was that Robin wore. Were they going for a Robin vibe or was that an accident? I think it's got to be on purpose. These are like the Robin colors and she's sort of Wolverine's sidekick. I feel like maybe it's an homage. If it's not necessarily on purpose, then it's definitely uh, subliminal. I don't know. Sure, sure. Subconsciously, they're like, yeah, we need a sidekick. Let's make her costume yellow, red, and green. That sounds yeah. familiar. No, nah, it's <laughs> totally unique. <laughs> so uh, Rose is like, this is my granddaughter. Why don't you guys go shopping? So off they go. But Jubilee's kind of like, uh, oh, man, he's going to dump me. Sayonara, sucker. Oh, your way of witching me? Ditch, yeah. <laughs> your way of ditching me, Wolvie? Hey, I'm a big girl. I can handle rejection. Creep. So I, I don't know that this uh, Wolverine and young skinny Rose, we should mention that they draw Rose. She's old. She's very jolly. She's a large, older woman. Like She looks like, a, like an old grandmother. Uh, and in this picture that we see in the futuristic city, she's a young, thin woman. Uh... And I don't know that we ever, maybe we'd find out what all this is, but. I don't know anything about the city. I know that, uh, spoilers, Rose and Wolverine had a prior relationship. And I believe that she's the other owner of the 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 bar in, the, in Madripoor, the princess bar. But I could be wrong about that. Okay. That's, that's just what I thought. Or maybe, maybe that's modern. Uh, at any rate, yeah. So then she says, uh, sit down, Logan, before you drop. I believe there's, ahem, room on my couch for two. 
and we see a ghostly Carol Danvers give Rose a wave. To which I wonder, like, has Rose seen Wolverine in this state before where he's seeing ghosts, or does she actually see Carol Danvers? I don't think she sees Carol Danvers, but did did Wolverine tip her off at some point that he's talking to other people? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. What, I don't know what this is. Yeah, no, that's just. Yeah, I don't know. But her demeanor, as soon as Jubilee changes, uh, changes drastically. She's she's angry, not angry. She's uh, like a concern. Like you haven't been taking care of yourself. What is happening? Uh, what the devil has happened? Yeah, uh, it's type of a demeanor, and so I don't know. I kind of take it as like, oh boy, here he's seeing things. <laughs> Slide again. There's, there's room for two of you. So. This is what how he gets when he gets bad. It's it's certainly a possibility, a thing that they were planning that they never really uh, finished up with. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, yeah. So. Major villains, cyborgs, renegade Hellfire Club with a hard hate for mutants in general, X Men in particular. Catch me again. I'm done. Maybe already. Simply too stubborn to admit it. Got to find the others, assuming they're alive. Figured here was the place to start looking. Wasn't sure what the who the others were. That at first I thought it was the X Men, but why would he start searching for the X Men in Hong Kong? So I'm thinking they're the others of the Wolverine and Rose days. I don't know. What's your take on that? <laughs> I would have probably read that in the most literal way possible and assumed that he was looking for the other X Men, but. Knowing kind of what I know about where this story is going, maybe he's looking for, I don't know. I don't know what he's looking for. Why would he look here to find the X-Men? That's my only question. I don't have an answer to that. Well, I also kind of feel like he came here to, to heal up. Like, it's safe haven. It's Maybe he thinks nobody would think to look for him here. Which is, which is fine, but he does say figured here was the place to start looking. It's true. I'm, and maybe he does mean, you know, maybe here is a place where I can heal up and make like a home base here at Roses, Landau, <laughs> Luckman, and Lake. Maybe maybe he got like a a psychic tip, uh, unbeknownst to him, that there was an X Man in Hong Kong that needed to be rescued. Maybe. And then uh, Rose goes on and says, "Mandarin's consolidating control." Over the local underworld, so far he's winning, but the natives are very restless. The whole town could blow up in any minute. Why? You don't want to be caught in the middle. No fear, Rosie. Soon as I have what I need, I'm gone. So he's looking for something specific. So maybe maybe it is Psylocke. I don't know. I Maybe we'll find out next issue, because we want this issue. Okay. <laughs> in the South China Sea, in that uh, little mountain base, evil person base thing we've seen before... Uh, Psylocke is in a practice room with a bunch of ninjas and they're jumping from floating disc to floating disc. Uh, one of the ninjas seems to have caught Psylocke by surprise. She goes down hard. She's got a bloody lip. The ninja goes to cut her head off or something and she kind of twists around and she pops her, I don't want to call it what it is yet, some sort of energy that comes out of her hand and uh, punches him <laughs> in the head with it. In a, in a knife shape, if you will. <laughs> and then she says, my psychic knife, the ultimate focus of my psionic power, short-circuited his cerebral neurons. A pity its reach is only as long as my... 
And get used to her saying the ultimate focus of my psionic powers, folks. <laughs> because every time she brings up her psychic knife, she's got to explain what it is. Which, you know, is, is classic Claremontism. It's also classic. If this is your first comic. Mm-hmm. You can understand what it is. It's like Rogue you know, saying that she can't touch anybody. I don't know. Everybody I, else is like, we know. I feel like psychic knife all by itself is enough to be like, oh, okay, I, I can understand what that is. It's a knife made up of psychic power, and if you ram that through somebody's head, it's probably going to like knock them for, for a loop. But if you throw in the ultimate focus of my <laughs> psionic powers, you also get, oh, she's got psionic powers. Okay. Again, I, I don't think you need all that. but uh, I don't think you do either, but, you know. <laughs> We're going to get it. Uh, she's in her, by the way, Psylocke swimsuit costume that we will come to know and have to love, or I guess not. <laughs> uh, and it's it's this hand dude with the hair. I guess his name is Lord Jonan. He is. Oh, I thought he was Emil Vachon, but I guess that's just the guy who owns the island. I don't know who that is. So she, yeah, she does call him Lord Jonan. And she's like, "Oh, well, I'll, I'll do better." He was one that got, got the drop on her and said, "Oh, you have telepathic powers, and you still couldn't sense my uh, my, my presence. Go take a bath." <laughs> So, she also so she calls does. him Matsuo Suraba, which is maybe his name and Lord Jonan is his title. Who knows? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. So she goes to take a bath in like a futuristic space age bath. Uh, and I guess uh, Lord Jonan watches because he's a creep. But um, <laughs> he she, he's given her kind of a new mission detail of like there's a man. His name is Patch. And uh, he he's worked for Tiger Tiger's on Madripoor. So we got to, you got to figure out what's going on with him. Why is he here? Yeah. As the man, no notion of, Oh, and then that's where he talks about what the Mandarin's doing. Uh, since the Mandarin has abandoned his fares at home to do go gallivanting across the globe. See this month's issue of Avengers mm-hmm. where he acts like a basic, uh, moron mm-hmm. picking gratuitous fights with American superheroes has the man, no notion of how another public defeat will destroy his newly reestablished credibility. Apparently, doesn't matter. Yeah. But. Oh, well, that's not our concern. The hand is sworn to serve him uh, as you are uh, to as you are to serve the hand with all our hearts. And she repeats with all my heart. With all our heart or with all my heart. <laughs> this is a, a very confusing exchange that's always troubled me a little bit. Which the the Psylocke no. Matsuo Shiraba? No, I don't care about any of that. Uh, oh, the Jubilee one? Yeah. So they, they're, uh, it's Ruth's granddaughter, whose name I can't remember, and, uh, Jubilee, they're, they're going down, a uh, alley. Rose's granddaughter is Ruth. Ruth. And they go down a, a, uh, alleyway. They've got their shopping bags, and then there's these punk degenerates that are like, yo, baby, you want a party? And before we get to that, Jubilee is thinking to herself, is this what home, oh, what right. the home folks are like? No wonder the parental skipped. So we get, you get the idea that her parents used to live in Hong Kong. Yes, and so she was born probably in California, but her parents are direct descendants of um, Hong Kong. And, uh, and then uh, in in the subtitles or the uh, the little the little thing that dictates that he's not speaking English, but probably they're in Hong Kong, so probably Cantonese. Probably want a party, sweetie? And she says in English, "Hands off the shades, slick." And that's when he says, "Ah, so." You some uppity tourista Yankee banana girl, yellow on the outside, white on the end, which which is a, your clear tip-off 
in a ter- terribly stereotypical oh. uh, way that she is, in fact, an Asian American. I literally was like, oh, she, she's got a yellow coat and she's got white skin. <laughs> like, what What are we? That makes way more sense. <laughs> like, yeah, she's Asian on the outside and American on the inside. That Right. Yeah. I guess it's figurative and literal. Yes, because and, of the big yellow coat. And she says... Just try and peel me slick and you'll see some fireworks. And she kind of flicks off her her chin with her hand in kind of a dismissive motion. And Ruth grabs her and yanks and she says, Jubilee, have you lost your wits? You don't ever flash a gang of tough boys on their own turf. Give me a prick, Ruthie. I've seen Harrier marshmallows. I mean, jeez. You went and lost our bags, too. So I guess, like... This is the part that's always troubled me. Like, did Ruth think that, like, Jubilee was going to, like, literally flash these people? Like, she was going to open her coat and be like, you want these goods? You can't have them. Or or is it just this motion that she does? Well, I think flash is slang for, like, fight back or, or, uh, or like, uh, I don't know what the equivalent of it would be. Uh, give the middle finger to in a, in a lot of words. Feel like there would have been a better word than flash, probably because like again, fourteen year old me is like, I don't. Does that just mean like, like a flasher? Like Ruth thought that Jubilee was getting set to be like, you can't handle these goods, and then like turn around. I mean, maybe it's possible that that's what we're meant to think because of the choice of words, but I don't, I don't, I don't think so. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't but I mean... make any sense. <laughs> Number one, she's wearing like a t-shirt and shorts. So like the act of flashing somebody would take way too long. And then you'd, you'd like trip over yourself trying to get away from the, uh, <laughs> the scenario. I just, yeah, the word flash, I really wish it would have been like, you don't ever, um, tick off. Yeah, sure. Tick off, tick off a gang, of tough boys on their own turf or talk back to or talk back to. Yeah. Or, or I don't know, throw shade. I don't know something, but flash is like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, this is another good drawing. I like of Jubilee as they kind of laugh at each other where she's like, I suppose that means we'll have to shop some more is what Ruth says. And, and Jubilee's like, all right. And it's all right. I like the drawing of her, her hair and the face and, it's at the birth of all right. <laughs> all right. Maybe. Uh, and so they're like, oh, you're hungry. I, I know a place for lunch. Julie says nothing that wiggles. Give me McBurgers any day. And they get yanked away. They're grabbed off by somebody off panel. Two hands. Do you think it's the tough boys who want to see that flash? I think that's what we're made to believe. Yeah. But no. Okay. <laughs> Meanwhile, on Muir Island, uh, Forge and uh, Banshee are putting together some defenses. Moira's like, she's wearing an X uniform and she's all spicy. And and uh, Forge's like, oh man, you look, Moira's fine. <laughs> <laughs> You're a lucky man, Cassidy. <laughs> Aye, that she is. They're never so wild in dress or manner as she's become lately, he thinks to himself. Can you design a back door into your system forge that'll admit just the two of us, which none but us will know? Sure, but uh, why? Mystery. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd be, I'd feel better is all. I don't like the way that uh, Moira has been acting lately, and I'm kind of suspicious of her. And uh, stop making eyes at me, wife. But uh, that's another thing that I won't talk about <laughs> because I need you to do something for me. Yep. 
Uh, and he's like, oh, all right, I guess I could do that. Meanwhile, Lorna's listening in, and she's like, oh, this is all my fault. Ever since I lost my magnetic powers, everywhere I go, or everywhere I've gone, people around me have started behaving more and more negatively. That's right, sweetie, says Legion, who grabs her by, well, doesn't even grab her, but kind of mentally lifts her up. I, I get the feeling she's off the ground, but maybe not. She's got all, like, bubbles around her and stuff. I think she's, in the drawing... Uh, she is as tall as the doorway. So I get the feeling that she's like seven feet tall right now. So she's in her kind of her big state. And I think Legion, who is the guy that comes up, uh, is shorter. And he has to kind of reach up to touch her face uh, and take control of her um, because his plan is, uh, you'll see, with your help, this uh, rock and everyone on it's going to become Legion's personal private playground. So is the implication here that the Legion has been causing everything since she's been on the boat where she, the, the, the bad guys or the, all the people on the ship like were fighting for her. And, um, two things I want to say. Number one, I like the drawing of Legion. I like his jawline. I like his smile. It's, it's a good drawing. Uh, second thing. Yeah. I think that's the, the implication here is that everything's been going crazy, uh, as they get, within a certain proximity of Muir Island. And it wasn't very well illustrated in the issue where Lorna shows up. But on the other hand, I think they're also just trying to create like this mystery of like, what is happening? Yeah. And part of the problem is, is that you just had Lorna's powers shift to something completely different. Yeah. And now you're introducing this other second element of mystery that, right. so you automatically think, Oh, those two things must be connected. But apparently not. And maybe from a storytelling perspective, that's what Chris Claremont wanted. But there's really no payoff. It's not like everyone's like, oh, my God, Lorna, we got to get away from her. Something's wrong with her. They just kind of do this. Um, although maybe next issue they blame everything on Lorna. I don't, I don't really remember. And I don't really – I think we have a letter that might touch on what was supposed to be happening here. But I don't really remember how any of this pays off. So Legion, Legion has the power to – cause people to act negatively doesn't he already or is he like using i guess i don't really understand what's happening why is he focused on lorna and why are people around lorna acting negatively what is legion actually doing that it has to involve lorna i guess i'm still not really clear on concept here no what we do i think what we do know is that legion has multiple personalities and this is not a nice personality that is doing bad things yes I don't really understand what his power set is. In fact, the most I know about Legion is from season one of Legion, (laughs) the show. His power set is whatever Chris Claremont needs to have happen in order to tell a story about Legion. Uh, I know at some point he's got like hundreds of mutants with different powers that he can access at any time. So he's kind of like... the Split guy from the M. Night Shyamalan movie. I never saw that movie. Oh, Split was good. I heard about the twist ending and I was like, oh, that's interesting. But no, I don't feel like going to see that. And then they did Glass and I was like, yeah, I'm I'm good. I'm going to be honest, Adam. I and You don't have to tell me uh, and ruin it for anybody else. I don't actually remember the twist ending of Split. I remember James McAvoy just doing a whole bunch of performances in Split and being entertained by that. 
there's a good reason you don't remember the uh, <laughs> the twist ending oh, of, oh. of Split, and yeah, it's because okay. it, it's because it has nothing to do with the movie Split. The twist ending is the post credit sequence. I don't consider that a twist ending. I consider that a like oh oh. <laughs> well, if you knew what was going on, I would imagine you'd be like, oh, that's neat. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the the movie I feel like stands on its own without the twist ending. Now, Glass, on the other hand. Wasn't bad, but it was like, oh, could have done a little bit more, I think. Although, I don't know. It also grounded itself enough in reality. But I guess I, I'm, I'm not really making much sense to you because I don't think you saw either movie, did you? I did not. Oh, okay. So you're saying that I should watch Split? I would recommend Split. And then I would actually recommend following it up with, if you liked Unbreakable, I would watch, oh, spoilers. Hey, what does <laughs> I, I Unbreakable would, have to do with it? <laughs> uh, I don't know. But I would watch Glass. Well, Glass. Glass is the guy from Unbreakable. Here's the thing. I didn't really like Unbreakable. Oh, okay. Well, then you... I, yeah, okay. Like, did you not like it because you don't like Bruce Willis? Or were you like... No, this was, this was like the period of Bruce Willis where you couldn't not like Bruce Willis. He was in everything, and everything he was in was kind of good. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I don't, I don't really know why I didn't like Unbreakable. I guess it was just kind of nothing really... I guess it didn't really stick with me. Okay. I don't know. I can't really tell you. I saw it once, and uh, I was I was impressed by the fact that it's a series of long takes. Yeah. And that was kind of neat. Yeah. Um, and then other than that, the the fight scenes I remember were brutal, uh, which is part of the nature of it being part of a long take, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I was just kind of like, all right, that's that's a story where not really a lot happens, but okay, interesting. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think that's a lot of what M. Night Shyamalan's movies are, like a movie about not much that actually happens. I mean, if you think about, what was that first movie he made, uh, Sixth Sense? Sixth Sense is technically, I think, his second movie. Oh, but what's his first movie? It's some comedy. Um, oh. It was, it was before he was, like, known for things. Okay. That makes more sense. Because I always thought it was weird, like, really, they give... This guy from nowhere, like, he gets writing, directing, and, like, this big budget to deal with Bruce Willis. Like, that's really weird for a first-time writer-director to get all that. The coolest thing about the Sixth Sense and uh, Unbreakable DVDs is at the time, you know, DVDs were filled with features and stuff. Mm -hmm. They had M. Night Shyamalan's home videos of movies that he made when he was a kid. And uh, it was very similar to the movies like in, in, in production value that we used to make as kids. And I was like, oh, that's really neat. Somebody, somebody actually made it from, from nothing. Good on you. It could have been us, Adam. It could have been us. Could have been us. But it was him. But here we are. Anyways, yeah. Uh, so there you go. It's movie talk with Adam and Jeremy. Yeah. In fact, uh, if if you out there want to support us and help us make a movie, um, <laughs> just uh, just let us know. Yeah. Listen, let, let us know if you got empty if you got if you got empty pockets if you got full pockets <laughs> that you want to make empty and support us in our endeavor to make a movie about something. I don't know. Maybe a couple of podcasters. Probably not that. Uh, anything but that. Uh, let us know, and we'll totally like make your movie dreams come true. Yeah. I'm not sure why I'm pitching this or uh, where this is going. Yeah. But, it's kind of out of left field, but I'd like to see where this goes. Back to the comic. Oh, okay. Uh, they're in Hong Kong. Wolverine is on the boat, and he says, no sign of Jubilee or Rose. Bad Joss. 
Bad Joss. I think what the heck is Bad Joss? I think he's talking about Joss Whedon in the future. <laughs> bad Joss. Bad Joss. Oh. <laughs> um, and so uh, when we last saw Jubilee leaving Wolverine, he, she was like, oh, I guess that's it. Sayonara, sucker. But this kind of indicates that there was a plan somehow that maybe Ruth, maybe Ruth was going to bring Jubilee back to the boat, but nobody told Jubilee. Could be. I don't know. Anyways, uh, some ninjas show up. Wolverine throws a cigarette on one of their heads because uh, as he takes a drag so coolly, he realizes that his healing factor isn't what it used to be, and he starts hacking and coughing and stuff. He does sniff, which he doesn't know. He doesn't like say anything about it, but there's a random sniff, which makes, you know, if you know anything about Wolverine, it's like, ooh, did he catch, did he catch their scent? Yeah. And so all these people on the docks and the boats, they're like, oh, my God, it's the hand. Should we tell that poor man? No, we got to hide. And the ninjas follow Wolverine, and they're like, oh, where he's gone? He's gone. He disappeared. And then Wolverine says, snicked. And inside the little snicked letters says, looking for me, fellas. Well, here I am. And you get a classic Jim Lee Wolverine jumping out of somewhere. That's a, this is a good jumping out of a uh, uh, wood <laughs> Wolverine. <laughs> I mean it, yeah. But it, it has a, some hints of Rob Liefeld feet there. I got to be honest. Well, then where do you think Rob Liefeld got it from? Yeah, well, Rob he Liefeld was, saw this, this issue and he was like, "You can do that. Th- those are feet. I'm done. I can do this." And he still screws those up. <laughs> <laughs> Been wondering if we'd ever tangle again, Jenin. Can't say I'm sorry either. So I think Jen and, and Jonin are, are, are Japanese or like not uh, Chinese. Formalities, maybe? For, for some sort of ninja or soldier or something. You know, better podcasters would have looked it up. <laughs> uh, one of the ninjas thinks to himself, oh, whoever he is, my sword will speedily send him to his ancestors but the sword breaks off on wolverine's back and he says bad news bub adamantium laced bones can't be broke but that don't mean a much like being cut Rawr! and then jubilee shows up uh up up high on top of one of the boats and says prelims over showboat time to intro the main event wolverine sees it and shouts fireworks <laughs> which is kind of funny <laughs> fireworks that should be in his head. <laughs> <laughs> Jubilee using her powers. This is wrong. Kid doesn't sound quite like herself. And behind Jubilee is Psylocke in her Lady Mandarin costume. And she says, I am Lady Mandarin. Yield while you will suffer the consequences. Wolverine is like, do I know her? Pieces don't fit. But somehow they ring true. With my telepathy, I know your moves before you make them. So how come you just missed, eh? I'm Wolverine. <laughs> What's the matter, lady? Never fought a body to whom thought and action are one. Live and learn. And she, he slices off her Mandarin helmet, and he's like, What? The face! <laughs> Psylocke! Um, so here, I'm like, wait. I thought the whole point of this was that now she's, she's like got a completely different face. But apparently this is supposed to be Betsy Braddock's face. <sighs> Do I they know. reckon this like in the next issue? <laughs> no, I feel like uh, 
I don't know, take take a woman you know and give her Asian features. And maybe that fools some people, but other people you're like, boy, that looks like that person I know, but with Asian features. All right. So if you jump to today. Yeah. Um, and this is going to be major spoilers. So skip ahead about like uh, a minute or two if you don't want to know anything about Psylocke. And to be honest, I don't know anything about what Psylocke is doing today. I just know this one fact. Okay. Spoiler starts now. So the one fact is that the body that she is inhabiting now, Betsy Braddock is inhabiting now, is not is is separated from Betsy Braddock in current continuity. So there's this Asian woman who has the body of Psylocke and there's Betsy Braddock. So that makes me feel like somebody didn't read this issue when they <laughs> made that decision. I don't know. Uh I I think it'd be cooler if uh if they would have retconned even this and been like, remember that Psylocke you thought was Psylocke? Well, it wasn't. Like the real Psylocke's been in stasis in a rock you know, in Jamaica Bay right next to Phoenix's rock. <laughs> For all I know, they, they do that. Uh, the the only uh, knowledge that I had of Psylocke uh, comes from Excalibur number one that came out recently. Uh, and then this end of spoiler. So I, I've always just interpreted this as it it's many of betsy braddock's features but asianified and i think it's hard to portray that in comics because generally you need you need hair or the beard or the mustache to put the face to the person if that makes any sense like if you I... if you draw a cyclops scott summers and you take away his hair and his glasses it could be Iceman. it could be it could be anybody yeah. Okay. Yeah, I get that. Right. So it's. I think it's kind of hard to convey the concept that, well, Chris Claremont's trying to con conceptualize here, and and what I'm trying to describe. But that's the way I've always read it. Is 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 she's she's not as pasty, so she's a little bit more olive. She's got a little bit of a slant in her eyes. Her eyebrows are a little bit more kind of evil looking, but kind of underneath all of that, it it still looks a bit like Betsy. But you'd also think that like the scent would be like. Oh man, she smells like Betsy. But I guess she doesn't because it's it's a different body. I don't right. I don't know. Um I feel like Betsy has a very distinct face and Psylocke has a very distinct face. And I never really put the that together that they're kind of supposed to be similar or if uh the same, but I mean I don't know. Right in the in the continuity we're in right now, yes, this is uh the it's 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 a different body, but apparently a very similar face. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, you know, she went through the siege perilous and the siege perilous is supposed to like resurrect you if you've been judged, uh, worthy. I don't know if it says anything about like giving you your heart's desire, but I mean the whole kind of build up to her going into the siege perilous was like, oh, I'm weak and all I have is this psychic power, but I got to wear this armor cause I'm so vulnerable and Somehow her rebirth from the Siege Perilous made her kind of a kick-ass Asian ninja for some reason. That's an interesting point. Um, yeah, I think I think you're paying attention to the bigger picture more so than I am, which is which is good. <laughs> well, I'm also remembering some future issues that will have spoilers, some resurrected X-Men, and kind of where they are. So, yeah. Anyways, uh, it's not a big jump. Although it's, I don't know, it's not a big jump for me to see. To, to have Wolverine recognize 
her face as Betsy Braddock's. That's all. Honestly, it's it's not a big jump for me either. The only reason that it's a it's a I was questioning it is because I had just read that current oh, Excalibur sure, sure, number sure. one. Um, if I hadn't, I probably wouldn't make anything of it. I'd just be like, oh, she's still got Betsy's face. Okay, even though the, I don't think the drawings do a good job of showing that, I, it doesn't matter. It's comics. So she hits Wolverine in the forehead with her psychic knife and says, my psychic knife casts you headlong into the abyss of oblivion. Wait, what's her psychic knife? Uh, it's the total focus of all of her psionic power. I wouldn't know because she doesn't say it. <laughs> the child hid your secret well from my psi probes. Her thoughts are as slippery and hard to hold as herself. But your claws and your momentary rapport forged between us and my blade has betrayed your secret. You're Wolverine. And now everybody's going to know that this guy with darkened eyes and a black suit and a red belt is Wolverine. So Wolverine has history with the hand, which I don't really remember um, if we've covered or not. I feel like we probably have. My memory is scattershot. Uh, at any rate, the, I guess the the point of this is that, oh, now we know you're Wolverine. Patch is Wolverine. I don't think it's so much the idea that, oh, Patch is Wolverine. I think it's more of like, oh, this guy's Wolverine. And now the hand can deal with him. Yeah. Yeah. It It just feels like a moment that's like, a big deal, but it really doesn't feel like a big deal. In the yeah, <clears throat> in the pages of the Uncanny X Men, it's not really a big deal because you're like, okay, <laughs> Wolverine's not wearing his Wolverine costume for some reason, and now the hand knows that he's Wolverine. Who cares? Yeah, <laughs> it'd be more of like, and I've caught the Wolverine. Like, but that's the but, thing is, I think I think this is stuff that we we haven't seen before. Like, I don't think Wolverine has a history of. Like I don't in in the Wolverine and Kitty Pride miniseries was that the hand that he was dealing with? Oh, or maybe. was that was that just a Ninja Clan run by that one guy? Um, I don't remember. Yeah, the 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 Red Skull face guy, the Demon face yeah. guy. I don't remember. Is is the 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 group that Mariko Yoshida runs? Is that arch enemies of the hand? Has he dealt with the hand in the past? I don't. I don't know. Was Mariko in those Kitty Pride issues? Uh she might have been lurking in as one of the characters, like little side characters, but it wasn't really focused on her. Didn't didn't Kitty Pride meet her in that or something? I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember either. This is, this is like two forty-year-old guys showing our age. Huh? Remember that thing we talked about two years ago? Nope. No. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that that was that was this week's. Uh, episode. Yeah, we got some email. Um, some some uh, communique. Uh, Ms. Smitty, or M. Smitty, probably M. Smitty, not Ms. Mitty, because that that's that's a weird name. I'm gonna go with M. Smitty. Anyways, uh, uh, that person says this is uh, like a poem. It's it's <laughs> it's like I wanna I wanna say it's I, it was almost a haiku, but the the number the number of words are wrong or the number of syllables are wrong. But it's it's very poetic. It's a comment on one of our episodes it's i don't remember what which one it's from the website uh, maybe we can figure it out by that little little poem here though which i don't think it's a poem is it a haiku no, it's, it's not a poem yeah i'm gonna read it, i'm gonna read i'm gonna read it like it's a poem read, read it as though it's a poem 
Sometimes Pierce has Joker face. Sometimes Magneto has Pierce face. And the pajamas shared by Sean and Moira are definitely a way of implying Nookie. Story. Clearly something was planned for Lorna that didn't pan out. I loved that early Jubilee and Logan moments. A very Claremont issue. I feel like you could work that into a haiku. Yeah, that's very like... uh... (laughs) Uh, spoken word poetry. Yeah, if you feel like if you take a couple words out, get the the, the syllables correct or whatever, whatever it is, you'd be there. Um, yeah, I I think it's this is the issue where they escape from Australia would be my guess, like probably issue two fifty two or something like that. Yeah, okay, that's what I'm. I'm guessing. not gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna argue that. Uh, I don't know issue numbers. What are we on? Uh, I don't remember two seven. What did we just two fifty seven? Maybe I don't remember. <laughs> that was like that was like forty minutes ago. Oh God! <laughs> uh, Brian says on issue number fifty-three. He says a lot. This is commentary on issue number two fifty-three. Doesn't have much to say about the reappearance of Storm, but it's worth bookmarking because it's a Claremont thing. Patterns will emerge. Breadcrumbs are being dropped. We mixed up uh, Doctor Shen and Doctor Nurse Stewart. Oh, uh, who summarizes the baffling ethnicity markers that Storm exhibits during the examination. It's not obvious at first glance, but if you follow the progression of dialogue, it makes more sense. Not that Storm has mixed features, but that the dialogue is actually attributed to Shen. I guess I still don't quite remember that. I do remember that. I think we were confused over uh, the dialogue that seemed to indicate that Storm was mixed, which was kind of a weird thing, but... It, yeah, it just kind of came out of nowhere. And it, I guess it was the first time that we'd really been given to think about that. But I think what what Brian is saying is that we just kind of misread it and attributed. Oh, my God. If, if he's going to keep track of all the times that we make mistakes, <laughs> man, he is, he's got a lifetime of work ahead of him. Yeah. He likes my interpretation of Pretty Boy's makeover, basically uh, the cyborg castration, right? So Pretty Boy goes to being mostly human, I guess, to just a head on a robot body, so he he can't have no fun no more. And he says that if he doesn't know that the interpretation was intended, but it fits. Uh, And I agree. I like my interpretation, but uh, also, I don't know, I feel like it's too too on the nose for it not to have been intended, but maybe not. I I don't think I argued against it. I just, uh, I I didn't see it during my initial read. Yeah. Uh, usually a reliable Claremont apologist, as am I. Uh, but the chaos on Polaris's boat wasn't an effective setup for the things that will be happening in the series, the things that we've been talking about uh, around Legion. Uh, I had to have the connection pointed out to me years later because it's not really obvious. Hint, it has something to do with the boat's proximity to a certain person and or place. Oh, place. Oh, so I guess that's that's what we were saying was Legion and Legion Muir and Island. Muir Island. So maybe if you get Legion off Muir Island, things get better. I don't remember. Also, I don't know. also brings up the question: Who is more responsible for the success or failure to communicate information, artist or writer? It's a good question. Like, as a as a writer, you could have like all of these ideas, um, and when you give them to the artist, if they're not able to, I don't know, draw it. I feel like the answer to this question is it really depends. It really yeah. depends on on the comic book, because I the, if you if you like think about the Marvel way where it's just sure. the the writer and the and the artist come up with a story together, mm-hmm. and then the artist is more responsible for telling that story, and then the writer goes back in and fills in the gaps. I don't feel like that's the way Chris Claremont necessarily does it, 
maybe a little bit. I don't know. I I feel like I read something, especially with his early relationship with Jim Lee, where he was. I feel like I read something where he was really into being like, "What do you want to do, Jim?" And Jim would be like, "I want to do this." And Are we, you going to tell the story where you say that Jim Lee said that he wanted to do a Captain America, and you were like, uh, and then Chris Claremont says, uh, "Oh, okay, I'll work that in somehow," because you've told this story. Uh, let's see, at least three times. I was going to tell a, a modified version in which I didn't mention those characters, but but I was going to talk about how it feels like Jim Lee and Chris Claremont had a good working relationship in the early days, and Jim would just do stuff. Don't get me wrong, I love you telling stories. I'm not going to talk. Uh, I, I, I just wanted to point out that I've heard this one like a thousand times before. Adam, any every <laughs> podcast could be somebody's first podcast. That's not the way podcasts work. People <laughs> people listening to this episode have binged through all 300 and however many. And they're probably they're probably like, oh, here. They probably got a drinking contest around it. Every time Jeremy tells that Jim Lee story, they got to like drink. I mean, it's screw you, Adam. Far. Screw you. <laughs> it's few and far between. This podcast is over. <laughs> that's it. That's what that's what I had to do. The end. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen with Baby I Storm? I finally found the trigger. Yes, that that was it. Adam, I probably have told the same story about a lot of things a lot of times, and and you know what? Every time I I tell it, it gets better. It's true, and I usually I usually I usually let you get away with it. Fine. Uh, just, just done with this Jim Lee story. Is it is it better? Hmm. Mm. Well, okay. Go ahead and tell the story, and I'll let you know. I will grade your performance on this story. Tell me about tell me about Jim Lee and Chris Claremont. No, I, I work extemporaneously. I <laughs> I don't uh, I don't take direction well. Oh man! Now I want you to now I want to go back and pretend like I didn't say anything. I, I wish you would have, because then and then I could rate your version of the story. Oh, I should have thought of that better. Next time I launch into the story, which won't be for a couple of years, you'll have to keep that in the back of your mind, and then be, and then at the end be like, meh, B minus, and then I'll be like, what? And you'd be like, remember you told me to grade it, and and I'll be like, you're a jerk. I quit. I'm saving that up for next time. Okay. Um, it, it, honestly, it's probably only once every hundred episodes. I mean, really, this is what our 302nd or third episode, and and you've probably only told the story three times, so it's like once every hundred. Yeah, I think I'm due to repeat myself every hundred issues. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Anyways, uh, he goes on to talk about Forge's uh, vision, and actually, it looks like Gateway was depicted in chains outside the saloon, which is vaguely familiar, but I don't remember if we talked about it. I'm guessing not, since Brian is bringing it up here. Um, he said he also needed to have that pointed out as well um and then there, i guess there's uh, some other significant visions upcoming which i don't really remember which add more cryptic puzzle pieces to the pile that's already been accumulating and he brings up amal farouk so yeah that uh that definitely tips me off in some of the direction of some of the things that are happening the farouk Rees connection becomes obvious it was the smile but again the smile that uh, Frank Rees does reminded me of Amal Farouk, but I can't remember if it's Amal Farouk from um, classic X-Men or if it was actually in Uncanny X-Men. Like, It must have been a classic X-Men. It might have been. It might have been the classic X-Men that came out at the same time as whatever that issue was. Or is classic X-Men done now? I don't know. Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I think it's still going. If if you go by Marvel Unlimited, if you if you find them as being accurate, then it, classic X Men is still going. Yeah, 
Well, Classic X-Men turns into X-Men Classics, and when it turns into X-Men Classics, it's just the issues reprinted with no backup stories. But right. publication dates, yeah, it could have been in them. So we know that the uh, Mel Farouk was in a recent issue of X-Men where he fought Forge. Did we read that? Yeah, I think it was it was either the last issue or... Amal Farouk fought Forge? Was that? Yeah, and he, he like steals his arm or something like that. Oh, wasn't it, wasn't it a dream fight? Yeah, it was like a dream fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So that must be the vision that he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. Chase says that he liked our conversation about Kansas City, and he calls it KC Mo and KCK, and I like KC Mo and KCK. <laughs> Never heard it referred to that way, and people in Kansas are like, ugh. That's all we ever hear. Uh, living in a city that spreads across two states means you're probably crossing the state line multiple times a day. Just a typical day for us. I will say that a person talking about KC, they're probably talking about KC Mo and not KCK. Besides sporting KC in the Speedway and a couple of barbecue places, everything else of importance is in KC Mo. Chiefs, jazz, barbecue, Civil War battles, Harry Truman, and Walt Disney. Anyways, KC Mo greater than KCK. Keep up the sh- great show. I'm I'm good with that. I don't even remember why we were talking about KC Mo because I because I'd been to one of them and I still don't know which one. But I'm I'm willing to bet that Chase is correct. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, astronaut Mike Dexter says you were wondering what Claremont had planned. Well, here is your answer, and it's a uh, it's a blog post about Chris Claremont and the mutant wars. And I read some of this. Did actually I read all of it? Did you read this, Adam? I read some of it. I, I'm, did I read all of it? I definitely read the, the parts that were pertinent to what we're dealing on now. So the interesting thing is that evidently there was a Marvel Age where they actually published like some, some marketing for the Mutant Wars, like an upcoming series, and they had issues planned out. Um, I think we're on issue 257. I guess I don't remember where in the continuity of the X-Men those issues were published, but it was, I guess, slated for X-Men number 279, so um, at the link now, it says it will be the most important event in the mutant milieu since the death of Phoenix. Follow it in X-Men 267 through 269, New Mutants 95 to 97, Excalibur 2830, and Excalibur 60 to 62. So this was like a, uh, what is that, a 12-parter? Yeah, uh, and it was supposed to basically... What they say is that it was going to go issue to issue to issue to issue. So if you didn't read New Mutants number 96, you were going to miss a chunk of the story. Um, You're going to have to collect all of them to figure out what was happening. And the whole idea was that, like, mutants were going to form factions and everybody was going to choose sides and fight. And they show some issues where there's a panel here of Magneto where he's, he's actually kind of setting up the seeds as he's having a conversation with Sebastian Shaw about mutants aligning one another. And it was all supposed to kind of kick off with Legion Legion, uh, doing a thing, which I feel like is maybe the seeds that are being planted here. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe not. They, they they say Legion and then they do a spoiler, which I don't know whether or not it happens. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it. Yeah. The new mutants and Legion controlled by, Somebody. Somebody. Yeah, so, I mean, based on kind of the clues that are in this article and the stuff that we're reading is, I think what we're reading is supposed to lead up to these mutant wars. In fact, it even goes on to say, like, in order to make this happen, like, we have to let the world know that the X-Men are alive, so we got to get there, um, which is kind of the path that we're on. But 
uh, it basically kind of comes down to like, yeah, we were going to do this. Uh, and then uh, Rob Liefeld and Jim Lee were Bob Harris's favorite. And, and that was that. Claremont was yeah, out. The 90s happened. Louise Simonson was out. And uh, I guess the whole thing got turned into Extinction Agenda. And it sounds like they took the concept and turned it into the Executioner's Song. That was a 12-parter. I have the trade paperback, hardbound, I think, maybe. I don't remember. Of that, I've just never read it because the art is kind of gross. I read it as it was coming out, and I remember – I think it was actually the end. I read, I finished it, and I was like, okay, I'm done. The X-Men – I'm done with the X-Men. <laughs> this, this, this story uh, – well, I'm going to say spoilers. I'm not going to spoil anything. Made no sense whatsoever. Um, so I'm done. That's the Executioner song? Yeah. yeah okay. I loved I, Extinction I, Agenda. I, I also liked that. I reread it. A few years back, probably like seven years ago, but I found the uh, trade paperback at a, at a local used bookstore. I was like, I don't think I've ever actually read this cover to cover. And I think when I was actually collecting, I think somehow I got screwed out of like one of the new mutants. I kind of missed like a pivotal chapter uh, and I read it and I was like, you know what? This is I, this is actually pretty good. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a good, succinct, well-told story. It It flows pretty well. And the, the trade paperback, again, Adam, this is going to be a story that you've heard before, but the trade paperback I have kind of bundles in like your introduction to the uh, uh, Genosha and then kind of skips forward and then shows you the whole executioner's execution agenda. So you get the whole complete story about like what's happening, who these people are. So I have a hardcover that does that. Mm -hmm. That's what I have. And then I, I used to have a trade paperback that di didn't do that. Um, and then I gave away in a raffle at work. Ah, the trade paperback is interesting because apparently there were some panels that, like, if if you didn't know what was happening, didn't make any sense, so they redrew them. Yeah, you told me yeah. that, and I was ticked off that I gave away my copy of the trade paperback in a raffle. I think, though, if you look in your hardbound executioners execution agenda, uh, those panels are highlighted. Like, this is what was okay. changed. So I think it's all all the content is there. I hope you're right. And when you look at it, you're like, okay, yeah, that art is that's kind of like trying to be Jim Lee or Rob or Rob Liefeld, but it's not. But yeah, so so kind of like a classic mute or class because I think the idea was like I'm going to sell this executioner uh, extinction agenda. Jesus, I can't even say it. Extin extinction agenda <laughs> trade paperback with the idea that somebody can pick it up and read it end to end and not be like lost in a bunch of other like starting or ending plot threads. So. This is, it's just cool. I, th I think it's cool that they did that. I wish feels special edition-y to me, but well, I mean, you should you should show at the end of it. There should be a couple pages that said, "Hey, we changed this from this," so that you know what the things are. Also, uh, I don't. I, I get your reference, a astronaut Mike Mike Dexter. I don't. Uh, have you ever watched Thirty Rock? No. I mean, I, okay. I'm aware of its existence and the characters that are on that show. Okay, well, then I'm going to leave you. You you need to watch all of 30 Rock in order to get this joke. <laughs> Are there like 12 seasons or something? I think there's seven. Mm. One, of, one of which is short because of the writer's strike that oh, happened. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you got a lot of work to do, but it's well worth it. Yeah. We'll see if that happens, Adam. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Uh, if you'd like to join in on the conversation, um, do so. Drop us a line. Drop us uh, yeah. 
a comment or some feedback, you can do so at uh, www.xmenpodcast.com. By the way, it's now secure. Like, you used to go there and it'd be like, not secure. And not that we take credit cards or anything, but it looked scary. But I fixed it. And so now when you go there, it's secure. Did you finally add the S to the HTTP and it, it that fixed it? <laughs> no, no, no. That was a little bit more complicated than that. But now it <laughs> automatically puts that S in there and it's got the lock and everything. And so if we were taking credit cards, and we totally could start if people want to take give us their credit cards, we could do it securely. Yeah, give us your credit card and just let us know. <laughs> if it what, was secure. Like, Did you feel good about that? If there's an amount you want us to spend up to or like if there's something specific you want us to buy, yeah. just let us know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't put it in a comment or anything, for God's sakes. You got to send it yeah. privately. Yeah. Uh, or go out to facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast. Um, Twitter us at danger room go. You can email us, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com. Go out to iTunes. You can subscribe to us, leave us some stars, give us a review, download all of the episodes there. Or you can go out to www.patreon.com forward slash dangerroom and uh, get all of this content plus our uh, ongoing, at least for now, coverage of the new uh, 2019 X-Men series. Yeah, which which is... We're almost caught up. I mean... Because because of uh, COVID, oh sure, comics stopped for a while. Why would comics stop? Is it because probably because all the publishing and stuff is close? Yeah, because you 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 can't really uh, you can't really go any places to pick it up. I guess I guess comic stores were closed, so they oh, decided sure. as a as a kind of solidarity that sure. they won't. And and I'm sure the warehouses weren't particularly yeah. safe either. So that's, uh, that's a good 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 call i i because i would imagine that like an art like artists and and writers don't go to a marvel bullpen anymore do you think i imagine that they all just like work at home and have zoom meetings every now and again yeah i would i would guess so or like uh like they go to a camp together i also feel like if you're a writer for the for marvel or even uh, an artist i feel like that's probably a secondary job at this point it probably is <laughs> it probably has to be yeah you're right Unless, unless you're like, I don't even know what qualifies as a superstar these days, but you know, unless you're in on the movie business or doing some consulting elsewhere, like I, I don't know that, like, I don't know that a Chris Claremont could exist in 2020. Although I guess he wrote a bunch of books. Do you think like Brian Michael Bendis who writes like 20 books at a time? He probably made a living. It takes 20 books. It takes being able to write 20 books to be able to not have a second job. Who was the former editor uh, who also started off as a writer? Uh, recently? Well, I mean, within the last 15 years. So we know that the current editor-in-chief is C.B. Sobolski. No, before that. Uh, before that. The guy who used to be an artist. Yeah. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. It doesn't help you, but I know okay. who you're talking about. <laughs> I think I feel like he did enough where he was involved at a time where or maybe he just had to get to be editor in order to make a full time career out of it. I feel like he's kind of retired now. So I feel like if you can retire oh, yeah. and just do cover art occasionally as you want, then I think you're probably in a good place. Like McFarlane is pretty much yeah. retired and now he owns like toy companies and whatnot. So he's He's probably in a good place. Yeah. You know, I think some of, like, the guy that I'm thinking of, I think he got some of that Marvel movie money. I think I think he was, like, a producer credit on a couple of them, if not all of them. All I can think of is, like, uh, Cup of Joe. 
He did, he did his bullpen bulletin was called the Cup of Joe. Joe Casada. Yes. Yeah. There it is. That we was, got there, folks. Oof, and you were was, here. You were here with us the whole way. <laughs> yeah, it was hard. Probably saw smoke coming out of your headphones <laughs> with all that thinking. Uh, also, our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. Uh, we've got a little bit more, though, to cover. What do you want to do first? Well, I <clears throat> read Excalibur number 18, which was a fill-in issue. Well, a fill-in artist issue. But, I mean, they, they I don't know if it was written this way or if they just played it this way or, or whatever. So it's uh, Dennis Jenkins and Dan Adkins as the guest penciler and inker. Um, and they they do okay. Uh, it's, it's pretty cartoony. And then it gets super cartoony at the end, but it's, it's part of the story as to why it gets cartoony. Which, yeah, was not. I, I was very confused by this whole thing. It, it continues the whole train story. And it also kind of ties into the whole Jamie Madrox sort of thing, but in an alternate reality. I, I, but like like you say, it's a story, and then everybody starts turning into cartoon characters. And I didn't understand what was going on there. Did they just get bored halfway through? I don't know. It really it was tough to pay attention to. So basically, they're on an alternate Earth. Um, um, Megan and uh, uh, Rachel are like, They've transferred bodies. They haven't really transferred bodies. One looks like the other, but I think their power sets are also somewhat transferred. It's again, it's kind of confusing. And somehow, is that really what happened? I missed that. <laughs> well, it's Megan's power that's doing something weird. Because remember, she as she gets close to people, she's kind of taking on their form. Like whenever she gets close to Nightcrawler, well now they've kind of evolved that into when she's getting close, she's taking on not just their looks but their powers or maybe maybe not their powers maybe just their looks anyways it doesn't matter um megan uh looks like rachel and rachel looks like megan and the megan who is rachel ends up in the alternate universe's jamie madrox's car and in this universe uh, and i think we got a taste for this in uncanny x-men or was that x that was x-men where psylocke was like uh she got in the car with jamie madrox so I think this is, and he had a fast car. He had a girlfriend, fast cars, fast women. Yeah, that was the last issue of X-Men. Yeah, so I think this kind of like picks up right after that. So like he set up that story in X-Men, and I was kind of quote-unquote sort of making it pay off here. Well, not to mention that Jamie Madrox is also running around Excalibur having just messed up all the, that, that crew, the, the weird alien crew. Yeah, but I guess we don't know that this Jamie Madrox is that Jamie Madrox, and it's possible that it is. Well, I know I don't think it is the same, but yeah. he's kind of using the same thing where he sees threads. Yeah, and he uses he uses that thread seeing thing in this issue. Yeah. So uh, Megan ends up with Jamie. Uh, Brian sees this and he's like, "Oh my God, it's Megan, who's actually Rachel in the car with Jamie Madrox, my brother. He's crazy. I got to go save her." And he jumps out of the train, which causes the train to crash. Uh, and things just get weird. <laughs> um, without getting into too much detail here, uh, Kitty, I guess, has learned how to control widgets. So they're able to make like a little widget car. And Widget starts talking. Is that a new thing? Widget does start talking. I, I believe that that is a new thing. I don't think it happened last issue. He talks like Warlock. 
Transportation system sunset ground vehicular required. Friend Shadow Kitty, you got it. Yeah. Um, and it, so now Kitty's got a pet widget and a pet Lockheed. Uh, a little later on in the issue, there's a little bit of jealousy, I think, going on. Um, yeah, and then they just turn into cartoon characters. Like, anime cartoon characters show up, and then they kind of turn into anime cartoon characters. So I feel like these these anime police that show up are a direct reference to something because they keep referring to themselves uh, as something specific that I feel like is a reference to a specific anime, but I couldn't tell you which one because I don't know. I read the issue and not that I'm like fully versed. I'm not probably not even well versed on anime, but nothing. It didn't spark any. Oh, this is ghost in the shell. So they keep calling themselves quote, dirty angels strike force. And then in parentheses, a lovely pair exclamation mark. They refer to themselves as that twice. I feel like that has to be a reference. I almost wonder if this guest artist team like draws that anime comic. And this is kind of like a, par- a parody of that. I don't, I, have, I don't know. But everybody turns into an anime for kind of off and on. Uh, then a bunch of weird things happen between Rachel and Megan where Megan. Sorry, I think Rachel <laughs> turns into Captain Britain then turns into Rachel and Jamie Madrox is like, oh, this is cool. And then this is where he sees the threads of what's happening. Uh, Megan, I'm already familiar with. Let's see what happened when I grab a hold of the other. And so he's able to reach in and grabs Captain Britain. But then Rachel's kind of yanked out of the costume. But it's not Captain Britain. It's one of the others. And then it becomes Megan. And then a car comes flying through the, the window. Oof, I don't even know. Um, <laughs> and then the, I guess what it all comes down about is uh, Jamie Madrox like knocks out Lockheed, slings him over his shoulder, grabs Widget. He's off. Their Excalibur is stuck in this world. And uh, Captain Britain, I think, thinks Megan is dead. Yeah, he kills her or he thinks he kills her. Yeah. He knocks her. He punches her out. I don't know. I feel like maybe this is building up to something, but I, I just don't. This issue's a filler. I mean, I think this this could have been distilled down to like Jamie's back. You better watch well, out. I don't think it's a filler because it definitely references stuff outside. I, I think I think you're. It's a filler in the art in that I wonder to to uh, to the point that Brian brought up earlier with his his question: Do artists or uh, writers matter more in this sense i feel like the artist mattered more because a different artist may have made a less confusing story um on the other hand maybe Claire, chris claremont just took the art that was given him and was like oh man how do i turn this into a story well didn't uh, you say the crosstown or the cross time caper started off as nine issues and ultimately goes out to like 12 issues yeah so it could be like this is a filler issue because um, Alan Davis wasn't available and Chris Claremont being Chris Claremont didn't want it to be like a total like waste of time. So he put in like the little breadcrumbs and seeds and references to kind of keep it cohesive to, uh, the rest of the cross time caper. But man, you even look at this cover and you're like, if I'm an Excalibur fan and I've been used to all these awesome Alan Davis covers, then this is my cover. I'm kind of, I'm super disappointed. I'm like what happened to Excalibur? Well, at first you're like, Oh, well, they're trying something different. And oh, this is like a this is like a wacky Alan Davis anime type thing. And then you go inside and you're like, oh, oh, no, this issue makes no sense. So (laughs) 
it's not in a yeah i don't know i would i give i would give the credit the cover the benefit of the doubt and like oh they're doing something wacky and different again i mean i'd but if i was a collector i would i would buy it of course but i'd be a little hesitant like Ooh, what's happened to my my comic oh it's like that fill-in issue that you buy that you just don't end up rereading yeah. a thousand times yeah new mutants 85 i did not read except for the rusty Collins stuff so <laughs> let you do the rest the new mutants the the gist of it is that the asgard story is over uh, all of the new mutants and danny moonstar as the evil uh, Valkyrie show up outside of uh, King Odin's sleep and she's got a sword that can kill him. But the, the dwarf Yetri, who is a friend of the mutants from that annual from way back when put a flaw in the blade and he sacrifices himself in order to expose the flaw in the blade. And then cannonball runs in front of the blade and breaks the blade. And Danny gets turned back to normal and the story is over um, as far as that. You want to talk about the other stuff? Paul, first I want to say next issue, the new mutants welcome a new series artist, Adam. It's Rob Liefeld. He does the cover of this issue too. Did he? Which if you look at the cover, it has nothing like uh, you're like, why is Tigra in this issue? Um, Oh, I had no idea. Like, yeah, it is a definite life. Well, it's Liefeld McFarlane. So is it Mark McFarlane inking Liefeld? Yeah, I think it's McFarlane inking Liefeld. I did, I thought this woman on the cover was, um, <laughs> I thought it was magic, but that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> She's not. So you got Boom Boom and uh, Rain and Warlock and Cannonball and probably Richter, Richter in the yeah, foreground. Yeah. And then you got Odin sleeping as I mentioned, and then you got a woman holding a blade who, if you read the issue, you know, is Danny Moonstar. Um, there's no way of recognizing this is Danny from the cover. If you, like I was, I, I look at this and I'm like Tigra from Avengers. That's yeah. the only person that could possibly be, but no, no, this is, that's Danny. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, Rusty uh, and the Vulture, well, actually, the Vulture escaped from prison, and uh, Rusty got wind of his plot and jumped out the window behind Vulture and grabbed onto his legs, and, and the Vulture's like, I'm going to go release Nitro from his container. That'll be devastation that the world will tremble at the mention of Vulture's names. <laughs> Who's Nitro? I don't know, but this is the acts of vengeance <laughs> portion of this issue, is right. that Vulture and Rusty... Uh, don't fight, but have an interaction. Uh, the vulture is like, oh, he flips, he flips over upside down, knocking uh, Rusty off of him, who hits like an electrical fence, and he falls to the ground. Uh, he gets shot at by like a machine gunner in a guard tower. Um, Skids is there, and she's like, Rusty, please be all right. And uh, Rusty says, all right, Skids. You gotta stop him referring to the co the guard who's shooting machine gun. Uh, stand back from your window and let me burn you free. So I guess she he melts her cell window, and she jumps out of the window in kind of like a giddy bounce that she does off the f ground. It really doesn't make any sense because if you follow the panels, he's clearly shooting his fire at the guy who's shooting at him. Yes. But then Skids jumps out apparently the same window. So it's like, is she in the room with the machine gunner? 
Yeah. So I think the 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 word balloons are trying to make you think something that the art is trying to show you differently. It doesn't make sense because you first see skids behind bars, but then the thing that's blown out looks like it was windowed. Anyway, so she jumps out, uh, opens up her force field uh, around her and Rusty, and and he's like, "We gotta, Vulture's gonna free Nitro. We gotta stop him." And uh, Skid says, "Who?" <laughs> <laughs> yep. He's on the trail in his canister, unable to participate in his own defense. There are reporters, picketers for civil liberty, lots of innocent civilians around the courthouse. And unless we can stop it, the Vulture will release him and Nitro will explode and hundreds of innocent people will die. I don't remember much of that plot being talked about last issue, but a bunch of stuff could have happened off panel, I suppose. So you know how I, sometimes I talk about how Wolverine was reduced to a skeleton once and he regenerated back with his healing factor from that? Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was Nitro that did it. Okay. I could totally be wrong, but I have this feeling that that's who Nitro is. Okay. Random factoid. Wolverine number 20. Uh, yeah, Wolverine number 20. Um, did you read this one? I did skim it. There's a there's an interesting uh, limitation that's I feel like first revealed in this issue. So Wolverine almost drowns. Is that the uh, limitation? Yes. You're talking about. Um, and he thinks to it. himself, like, "Oh man, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, healing factor might might slow this down, but I don't think there's anything that's like I could die. Like, this could be it." Healing factor can't counter drowning. Will it prolong the effects, extend the agony, add to the don't think about it? So uh, well, so yeah. where, where we left off, he was fighting Tiger Shark, and then Tiger Shark drags him deeper underwater and sticks him into a coral reef with his claws where he, and then leaves him behind to drown. Yes. Obviously, he doesn't drown. He escapes. Yeah, he escapes off panel much later. Yeah, he just shows up later. It's the whole story of like, oh, uh, super lucky, and here I am. We learn about La Bandera's powers are to, and her mutant powers are apparently to inspire people, and through that inspiration, she has some sort of power uh, to use her her staff. Um, we learn that the uh, sister Salvation, who is that the 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 nun slash ex wife of the uh, head of the country that we're in. Tierra Verde, I think it's called, uh, is able to somewhat heal Roughhouse, who's all messed up. His skin is all messed up from the steroids that they have him on in order to try to turn him into some sort of controlled superhero. Uh, Wolverine shows back up as everybody's escaping. They manage to uh, rescue. Oh, he can't hear anything. That's part of the side effect. He, get, he, he, he comes out of the water, but he's like, I can't hear anything. So he's just running around. He rescues Roughhouse and then manages to escape in a helicopter with Roughhouse, La Bandera, and Sister Salvation. And then Tiger Shark jumps out of the water, drags the helicopter down to the water, but then gets eaten by uh, sharks. Irony. <laughs> and that's that's it. That's that's pretty much the issue. How was this an act of vengeance? Uh, it is an act of vengeance because Wolverine is fighting t Tiger Shark. But... Not only that, uh, there is a direct reference. Where, let's see, I'm going to see if I can find it. It's when Tiger Sharp is fighting Labendera. He says, okay, uh, I don't know what page this is. They're not really numbered. I think it's page nine. Anyway, Tiger Sharp is fighting Labendera, and she says, Tiger Shark, still playing assassin for the drug interests I attacked in Florida. 
And Tiger Shark says, no play to it. There's one big act of vengeance going down against all superheroes. And you popped up with a few feeble powers just in time to qualify. Oh. So, okay. Not really, but whatever. <laughs> so maybe off panel hired by the Red Skull. Yeah, he was, I think they, he talks to Kingpin in the previous issue. Okay. And Kingman's like, yeah, kill La Bandera. She's been a thorn in my side for a long time. And we're like, what? Marvel Comics presents number 14. It just continues the story of Black Shadow, White Shadow. This one doesn't really have anything happening at all. Except Wolverine goes under and kills a shark. Which doesn't feel like a Wolverine thing to do, but okay. The... Is that it? Is that the, is that your coverage? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Uh, uh, um, Beast is in the Wonder Man story, and he's wearing his rubber disguise that he pulls off his face. So, in the last issue of the Wonder Man story, Wonder Man beat the crap out of Beast, and we know that. And we, so, we think throughout this thing that he's hospitalized. So, when he shows up at the end, we're like, "Whoa, Beast has a rubber face," <laughs> which apparently he reveals is a healing face. If not for this regenerative bodysuit, which gave me a secret, a different face, I'd have been a goner by now. Hope I can return the favor someday. Yeah. <laughs> There's also a backup story with Freedom Force that I, I didn't know about. So I'm super eager to hear what this is all about. It not only has Freedom Force, it has Senator Kelly. Oh. Does this so, take place before or after Muir Island? It's got to be before because Destiny's dead. Oh, is Destiny in and this she's issue? And she's in this. Oh, okay. Then definitely has to be before. Okay. Oh, yeah. Senator Kelly, do you wish to make a final statement? He's up against a wall. Yeah, he's been kidnapped by drug lords. And he's like, I won't, I won't kowtow to you drug lords. I hate drug lords. I'm, I'm a part of the America's war on drugs. Hmm. Which I'm like, he is? <laughs> sure. <laughs> war on mutants, war on drugs. I just like war. <laughs> and there's a bad guy named Senior Muerte who speaks really quietly and has very interesting uh, lettering. I can, this is why X-Men, this was probably X-Men's regular letterer <laughs> went to do all the senior Morte stuff and X-Men had to scramble. It's like, we need, we need a new letterer. <laughs> um, but that turns out to be Mystique and Mystique has secretly rescuing Senator Kelly from the drug Lords. And Senator Kelly is like, well, since freedom force is here, you think you can like take out the drug Lords? And Mystique is like, no, we're just here to rescue you. That's our job. And then uh, Avalanche and Blob fight some guys that are working for Senior Morte, who are a bunch of no-name supervillain characters called The Grip. They all get names, though, so I guess they're not no-names. Napalm, Vice, Windmill, Uzi, and Sprint. Hmm. I don't think we learned any of their powers because they are handily destroyed by the Blob <laughs> uh, and Avalanche. Um and then they talk about how they need to get back to uh, rendezvous with Destiny. There's a bunch of money, drug money, that Avalanche wants to steal, but they don't do that anymore because they're Freedom Force, so they burn it instead. And as they're leaving with Senator Kelly, Senior Morte says uh, to, to Mystique, it does not end here. I will rebuild my emperor. I will track you down. I will kill me. I will kill you. And uh, Mystique says, well... I don't like drug dealers, so I hope when you do that, that we're no longer working for the government so we can kick your butt. And then Blob says, drop dead, yuck, yuck, yuck. And that's it. And I don't think this guy ever shows up again. 
<laughs> Probably not. I like the fact that, you know, the, the problem with Freedom Force has always been they show up, X-Factor beats them, the X-Men beat them, the New Mutants beat them. It's nice to see an issue where the Freedom Force does like a government job and they're successful at it. That's true. So, I didn't really think about it that way. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a good point. <laughs> I, I actually always wish that, you know, maybe with all these villains always losing, it would be nice to have like a Hellfire Club comic book in which they go out on their own adventures and they're successful in whatever those adventures are. So like kind of anti-hero stuff, um, which wouldn't really involve the X-Men or anybody else, but would at least show that they have adventures of their own and uh, maybe they're, their uh, motives are, are morally ambiguous, right? But you can get behind it. But they never did. So they they probably have by now. Uh, like a limited series, probably. But in the in the forty years of that have happened between wait, was it, this is nineteen ninety? In the thirty years that have happened between now and then, there's got to be at least one story like that. Sure, sure. If not, you should write it. This is the 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 true X of vengeance chunk in which. Many comic books are here that have like a page or two. We should we should call this like Acts of Vengeance, uh, the Acts of Vengeance segment, or give it a give it a special name. Although it's only going to last for this episode and the next episode. So here's here's what I'd like to do. Here's what I'd like to propose, Adam. I'd like to propose that I, I summarize all of these in a couple of sentences. And if I miss anything, you can call me out and we can go, go find like, you know what we need to find. But okay. my takeaway from all of this, this is uh, I didn't read Punisher 29, so you, you'll have to cover that one. But Captain America 366, Web of Spider-Man 60, Amazing Spider-Man 328, Avengers West Coast 54, and Avengers number 313. Here is what, oh boy, here's what I took away, and it's not much. <laughs> um, so... The trickster guy, we know it's Loki, is, is still trying to, is still meeting with all of the bad guys in the little circle room. Um, the Magneto asks, uh, when everybody leaves the room, like, hey, that red skull, I thought he was dead. Is that actually the red skull? And the guy's like, huh, you're right, last time he was dead. And that's kind of ambiguous and never really answered. I think it's leading into the next issue of Captain America where it's going to be Magneto faces up to the Red Skull. That's my guess. That could be. Uh, And then the other thing I gathered was that Dr. Doom is not here. He sent a Doombot, which explodes. So, like, Dr. Doom's like a whole – there's a whole thing happening with Dr. Doom right now. I believe it. Um, So, Dr. Doom has been exiled from Latveria. Because, and this is totally irrelevant to anything that, this this has nothing to do with Acts of Vengeance or X-Men. So I'm just going off on a tangent. This is Adam spouting his useless knowledge that he happens to know about Doctor Doom right now. Uh, Doctor Doom has been exiled from Latveria because I think a clone of Doctor Doom uh, thinks that he's the real Doctor Doom. And uh, so they're they're kind of at war with each other. Okay. That's, That's all of it. So yeah, it's a it's a Doombot, but I don't know who the Doombot is working for. There's a an interesting. I think it's a, a, a Spider Man, Amazing Spider Man number three twenty eight, where uh, Sebastian Shaw shows up. I can't remember who solicits his help. He talks about it. He doesn't. Act, we don't actually see it. He just says some some highfalutin bad guys came and talked to me about how I can they can eliminate the Hellfire Club for me. And I was like, oh, I'm interested. 
Yeah. And then he says, then I found out that Magneto's part of them. And now I think the whole thing's a trap. Yeah. So I'm going to hire the Hulk to do what they hired me to do. Now, the thing that was a little confusing about this, uh, uh, Sebastian Shaw says, one of their group is Magneto, the man who deposed me as Black King of the Hellfire Club. Our mutual hatred approaches legend. I, I thought Magneto was the White King. He's both now, isn't he? Did that, how did what did when did that happen? Was that like a new mutants thing? Yeah, I think when they kicked Sebastian Shaw out of the uh the the council of the Hellfire Club, he took on the mantle of both the Black mm. King and the White King, the White King. And I thought uh the plan was that Emma Frost would become the White Queen and the Black Queen of and depose Celine, but I don't know if that ever happened. And then our mutual hatred approaches legend. I feel like that's a little, you know, <laughs> it's a little over the top. That's somebody writing Sebastian Shaw who only has the vague uh, kind of understanding of the story, I think. Now, I did enjoy uh, looking at some Todd McFarlane artwork, seeing Spider-Man and the Hulk fight. That was, that was some fun stuff. Brought me Brought me back. Right back to the nineties. Yeah, man. I was like, I, I am drinking some some Mountain Dew or some Jolt, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> reading me some classic nineties or classic nineties Spider Man comic books with with powers. He can fly, and he has like supervision. Ultimately, the Hulk uh, is uh, Spider Man. Like punches the Hulk into space. And Spider-Man's like, gosh, I wonder if he's going to die up there. So he flies up into space and pulls the Hulk down. And the Hulk's like, I didn't need your help, but I guess I'll let you live. So bye. <laughs> Speaking of Dr. Doom, oh, yeah. um, since I figure you didn't read Punisher 29. I did not. Uh, Dr. Doom, one of the Dr. Dooms, I don't think the non-Latverian one makes a deal with the Punisher to go after the Latverian one or something. I don't know. But the point is that as the Punisher, the only cameo – is that um, as Punisher is doing stuff in New York, he's in his Punisher van, and he sees Freedom Force fighting the Avengers in New York City. And that's like the cameo of Acts of Vengeance, which cuts you over to Avengers. Is it West Coast or I don't know? Or was it, was it last issue that the Freedom Force fought the Avengers in 312? So that's, that's seeing that, I think. I liked the uh, issue. It was John Byrne. Uh... So I can't remember if it was Avengers or West Coast Avengers, but it was a takeoff of Fantastic Four number one where the Mole Man sends like that same creature to the surface. Right, that was the West Coast. That was fun. And that one had a very small cameo, um, something to do with the Scarlet Witch. Oh, yeah. Uh, Magneto, uh, they take the Scarlet Witch, who I don't remember what happened to her, but they take her to a house for some rest or to be healed or something. And Magneto takes the house and flies it into space. That's Avengers 313. Oh. And West Coast Avengers <laughs> 54. Magneto is just kind of watching, uh, kind of standing in the shadows, watching Hank Pym and Mrs. Hank Pym. What is her name? Janet Van Dyne. And I don't think that they're, uh, I think they're divorced. They're divorced. Yeah. Although they're they they seem to be like uh, back together. They're on right again, now. off again. But I feel like they're right. like officially divorced. Uh, anyway, Magneto's standing in the shadows, watching them be superheroes, and he kind of implies that 
uh, he's watching in order to save or keep track of his daughter. Fly away now, Janet Van Dyne. Bring transportation. Your your former husband will be safe in my care for now, as will my daughter. Mm-hmm. So apparently he has pl- some some sort of plans with his daughter, whereas in Avengers 313, we learn, as you pointed out, that he brings her up into space. The other thing that happens in Avengers 313 is the Mandarin fights the Avengers and loses. And one of the issues, I don't, maybe it's Web of Spider-Man, I don't remember which, but we see some, uh, we flash by Thor fighting the Juggernaut. Yes, I, I don't, that, that was, was that Avengers West Coast too? It might have been, I, I don't remember. Uh, it's getting to the point where it's hard to keep track of this. What happens in Web of Spider-Man 60? Oh, I guess there's a Magneto cameo. It's another stupid Magneto cameo where he uh, he has one line of dialogue and he says, these are acts of vengeance, not mercy. <laughs> yes. It's, yes. It's the whole, when I was a kid, and I probably have already told this story too, Adam, I, acts of vengeance like made no sense. Like to me, like all of the crossovers usually have kind of a, a thematic narrative or like continued in whatever. Even the Atlantis attacks, which was awful, at least it had kind of a, kind of a chapter by chapter story. But this is like, this is all over the place. And there's like no references for like, as seen in whatever issue. It's still kind of neat though. If you're reading, if you're reading like what's happening and then you read Punisher 29 and Punisher drives by freedom force fighting the Avengers. That's neat. And you see, uh, in Avengers West coast, you see juggernaut and Thor fighting in the background. You're like, Oh, I know what that's from. It's kind of cool. If you read the whole thing, you're right. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and I think it's because they're kind of uh, maybe having trouble keeping track with all of the plot lines and, or what, what so-and-so is supposed to be doing. I don't know. Um, there's a there, – yeah. There's something with the Red Skull. I feel like there's something with Doctor Doom. I don't know if anybody really has control over what Magneto is doing. I mean somebody somebody has to be like orchestrating all of this. And do you think it's a writer? Do you think it's the editor? Like who is who is the person that's like, okay, Loki's going to do this, everybody. So write your comics. I feel like with Magneto, like let's let's take Magneto as a specific example. I think somebody said, "Hey, Chris, we need Magneto to be part of Acts of Vengeance because he's a major villain." And Chris is like, "What? Wait, what? <laughs> I've been doing all this work. What the heck? Have you not been reading what I've been writing?" Like, yeah, yeah, it's brilliant stuff. You're a brilliant writer, but we got it. We need him. We need him for this thing, and uh, you're you can't say no. And then John Byrne is like, well, I have an idea because I'm, I'm writing West Coast Avengers right now. I can do a thing where Magneto does something with his daughter, oh, uh, sure. Scarlet Witch. So I'm going to take control of the direction of Magneto for now. Sure. And uh, screw you, Chris, because don't they have like a beef or something? Probably. I don't know. That's, that's just the imagination or the imaginings that I'm behind the scenes imaginings. It's, it's probably – Less interesting than we think it should be. <laughs> um, anyways, yeah, so there you go. Uh, that's that's Acts of Vengeance for this week. That was Acts of Vengeance. I don't want to say corner. Uh, Acts of Vengeance porch. <laughs> Acts of Vengeance dumpster fire. Okay, I like it. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So, um, all right. Good stuff. Adam, I don't have anything else. Do you? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm burned out. Okay, Let's... perfect. 
uh, as as is our listener from like <laughs> 40 minutes ago. Uh, so with that, uh, my name is Jeremy. My name is Adam. And uh, Danger Room is closed. <laughs> <laughs>